As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review! It was a weekend where the Premier League title race heated up even though Man City were busy with another cup. Any Spurs fans who laughed at Arsenal got what they deserved when their team went to St James's Park and got served. In the FA Cup Final we'll be getting an all-Manchester show where Pep and Ten Hag will go toe-to-toe in the Bald Fraud Derby aka the Derby della Fraudanida aka El Fraudico. <laughs> yeah. In Germany Borussia Dortmund sprung out of the traps in perfect timing with Bayern Munich's latest collapse. Napoli and Barca took one step closer to their respective titles. Philly have shown signs of life, no need to check their vitals. And in American soccer, it was a huge weekend for America's biggest team as Wrexham finally fulfilled their title-winning dream. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, man, definitely looking forward to June 3rd at Wembley, a.k.a. the the Derby de la Fraudanina, which I'm very much enjoying (laughs) saying. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. I'm confused because Barcelona and Juve aren't playing in that game. So it's still the the Fraudanino? Yeah, um, I'm just like, I just stole those names from Reddit and I thought they were very funny. That's all the I think they're reason. pretty good. Yeah. I am very nervous about that Wembley uh, meeting as a Manchester United fan, but happy they made it there. Uh, always fun to watch a penalty shootout and not diagram it, just uh, chew my fingernails and be very nervous. First time the Manchester sides have ever met in a domestic cup final, Taylor. I presume they've met in like the Premier League Asia Trophy in 2012 or something, but... This is the first time on domestic soil. Mm. I feel like there's a decent chance that you are correct with with some of those names. Yeah, yeah I mean, I th- I think it will be a very interesting game, if nothing else. I still don't fully understand how anyone stops Manchester City at this point, uh, short of like uh, a FIFA-style rage quit and restarting the season, which I don't think is physically possible. Uh, so uh, uh, short of that, I think it's going to be a very interesting game for Manchester United and for Manchester City. I think I would be feeling... Uh, even more confident than I was this time last week. Mm, more on that later. Joining us, Taylor, a man now a bona fide fan of America's number one team, the aforementioned Joe Lowry, has started watching the Wrexham documentary, everybody. Yay! Go, Joe! 
Yay. I, I, so I've heard a lot about it, obviously, because I exist and have a social media account. So I've heard a lot about it. I finally broke down and watched the first episode on the plane back from New York because I didn't have anything else to do for the last stretch of time that I was there. So I watched the first episode and I was surprised at how much I actually liked it. I thought it was well done. I was interested in the storyline. I enjoyed a lot of it. I uh, we, we had a nice little chat and we'll have more discussion about Wrexham winning the title on the show and then I think a, a bit more on the Patreon. You know, I, I was sort of surprised at how much I enjoyed it with a lot of the cynical tendencies and cynical things that I've heard. I'm guessing that's going to pop up more and more if I do continue to go through it. But hey, even before they won the title, I was watching the show, so I don't even think that makes me a bandwagon fan. There you go. Uh, a wonderful fairy tale, Joe. Fairy tale none Ugh. of us could have seen coming, Cha-ching. which we'll, we'll discuss Cha-ching. more on uh, Patreon. Joining us, a groaning man who's still drunk on whiskey and pies <laughs> with very rich fillings in them, Graham Rutherford. Congratulations to you, sir, on Sterling Albion winning the championship Woo! in whatever league they're in. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Ryan Billy. I am wearing my champion's hat. This is the hat that you get when you are champions and uh, there will be a Patreon video coming soon. So look out for that if you are a TSS plus subscriber. Spoiler alert, I also wear the hat in that video. But yeah, Saturday was just a very enjoyable day, which is a novelty for me as a Sterling Albion fan. Mm. Our first title for 13 years. The first title that we've ever won at Fourth Bank, which is our home stadium. So that was something new. Someone told me that before the game, which seemed a little bit strange that we'd never had that before. It's always been away from home whenever we've won something in the past. But yeah, it was... It was a good day. I had a good time. So, Graham, tell us about the day. Uh, did you pour onto the field while Paul Rudd filmed you and uh, your millionaire owners? <laughs> um, how, how did it go down? What, what was the what was the feeling at Fourth Bank? And presumably, you won your other titles at Third Bank and Second Bank and First Bank. Oh, very right? good, very good. Yay! I th- I think Paul Rudd might have got lost on his way to Fourth Bank for Saturday's game. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what happened there. His invite maybe got lost in, in the post. I did send them one. But yeah, he wasn't at the game. 1,500 Sterling Albion fans uh, were, and we all flooded onto the pitch at full time. The pitch invasion was very funny because there was almost kind of three waves where you had like the first wave was the energetic young team, which I think every team, every uh, club has. And they were kind of forced back off because the match still had to finish, which was very <laughs> funny. I've never seen a pitch invasion happen. The stand empty out onto the pitch and then everyone run back into the stand so that they can finish the match. But that happened. <laughs> so they went back on. And then the third and final wave was the old man slow motion pitch invasion where all the all the oldies kind of stumbled out of the stand onto the pitch and at that point the, the stewards just aren't stopping anyone at that point it was it was just a lot of fun and then as as I was leaving I spotted uh, Kai Fotheringham who has been Trader. playing he he had no he he was there he'd been playing for Dundee United that day his game must I'm still amazed he managed to make it down to Sterling Albion for the game but he'd been playing for Dundee United that day he's actually doing very well at the moment which isn't surprising he got an assist in their game on uh, Saturday but he was getting dropped off in a car with a, a beer in, in his hand and running into the stadium <laughs> to join in the celebrations he's only 18 he's only just legal to have that beer in his hand but yeah it, it was a great day and it just kind of felt like everyone had a good time Wonderful stuff. Congratulations again. I, I wish I could picture that old man, maybe with like an old Labrador next to him coming on, <laughs> running onto the field. That's that's a wonderful picture to envisage. So you were in the fourth tier, Graham, third tier of Scottish soccer next year. How's that going to go? Is it going to be a challenge for Sterling? Like what kind of teams are you going to be up against? It's probably going to go badly. Let's be honest. I mean, there's a, there is a, a big gulf between us, uh, between the fourth tier 
And the third tier, there's some full-time teams in the third tier as well. The good thing about going up into that league, other than just going getting promoted, which is always fun, is Falkirk and Alloa are in that league. And those are our two traditional rivals, particularly Alloa. Falkirk are a much bigger club than Sterling Albion, but Alloa are kind of on our level. So to get those derbies back, it's kind of like... Um, Stenhouse Muir are our rivals in the fourth tier, but it's kind of like the Manchester United Leeds rivalry, whereas Aloha and Falkirk are kind of like City and Liverpool for us. Like those are our big rivalries. So I'm very much looking forward to those games next season. But yeah, it's funny how you go from one season. I've seen us lose one league game this season. I've been to 25 games this season. That is just completely unheard of. And it's funny with promotion how that script is going to completely flip to next season. I'm not anticipating seeing. Um, many victories from the games that I go to, but let's let's hope for the best. Let's hope we can build a competitive team and uh, stay up. Graham, I have like several thousand questions. I will start with the hat um, because you called it the, the hat that you wear for being champions or the champions hat. That's got it. That's made up, right? That's not a real thing. You can be honest. It's fine. Has has your team ever won won a title, Joe? Would you know? Mm, no, I wouldn't actually. You're entirely well, this correct is the champions about that. Hat. This is official okay. champions hat of the SBFL. That's, that's all I needed to know. Um, second, you exposed yourself for never having watched college basketball to see a court invasion that then everybody has to come off the field and the referee has to restart the game with like 0. 0.2 seconds left. That is always an enjoyably painful experience. The the the, uh, the that was more of a statement than a question. Uh, my other question is, which group were you in? In terms of the the pitch invasion, like were you in? I feel like Graham, you're more of an old soul than you are like yeah. a, a young soul. <laughs> like, were you in the old guy first group wave, as you sort of hobbling wave, on? Were you no, in the I first was. wave? Which was it? So the first wave had flares and everything. I think we saw that in the Dumbarton TSS Plus video On I did uh, last week. I didn't have, no, not, well, I was wearing the flared trousers and they had the, the flared pyrotechnics. <laughs> I was very much in the old man wave because, and this is a little bit yeah, of a secret. Yeah, we figured but, that out when you said you had flared trousers. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I kind of hang around with the oldies at Sterling Albion Games. I quite in, kind of enjoy their... Uh, their 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 company their 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 curmudgeonness if you will you and so yeah I was very much in that third old man way okay okay one other question for me you mentioned there are a few other there are a few full time sorry not other full time but a few full time clubs in the third tier right where players this is like what they do for work right and I know yeah. we've talked about this before when we were in New York that Sterling Albion is not one of those clubs these are part time right. folks they're training they still have full time jobs like there's all that kind of stuff how are Sterling Albion going to prepare for being in a, in a league above them, right? Are there measures they can take? Is there more cash now as a result of being promoted? Like, how do you try to stem off or uh, like basically to avoid some of the struggles that naturally come when you move up a level? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. There will be more cash going up a, a division. So naturally the prize money, I mean, we'll get prize money for winning the, the, the League 2 title and then we'll have bigger crowds next season in League 1. Actually quite notab- notably bigger crowds. So the Falkirk and Alloa games will probably be sold out. That will help us with our, with our budget. But it is very difficult, Joe. What I would say is it's not totally uncommon for part-time teams to to survive in full-time leagues. So you'll remember last season... And look, this is, an, this is a bit of an anomaly and an extreme, but you'll remember we, t- we spoke about our growth going for the yeah. Scottish Championship title and promotion to the, to the Scottish Premiership. They're a part-time team. So essentially, you just need to find the players, the best players in Scotland who are quite comfortable with their job 
um, maybe a team of lawyers, I guess, or a team of doctors. Maybe that's the best way for us to avoid relegation next season. But yeah, that, there is a sweet spot where there's that, there was this uh, one player in the Scottish Lower Leagues called Rory McAllister, right? He scored, I think, 300 goals in the Scottish Lower Leagues. He's had many opportunities to go up to the top flight, but his he's got like his own plumbing company. And so he figures that he will actually make more money just doing his plumbing job and running that company and then playing for Peterhead. So we need to find the, the lawyers, the doctors and the people with the plumbing companies to stay up in uh, League One next season. Graham, my question for you, uh, thus far this season, we've seen uh, a, a, an Aston Villa side be very, very exciting with John McGinn playing a key role. We currently have Scotland top of their group uh, in Euro qualifying. Now Sterling have been promoted. Is this the best time to walk away? Yeah. Like, should you just kind of cash out? Like, is this the best it's going to get? Or are you, are you hoping for Euro qualification topping the group uh, and a, a surprise run to another promotion bid? I was talking to my wife about this on Sunday, which oh, of course, was, of course. football has been pretty good to me recently with Scotland being pretty competitive and Sterling Albion winning a title. I actually mentioned the... The Patreon page, as subscribers, subscribers, excuse me, will know, I've been doing these matchday videos. I think I've maybe done like 10 or 11. We haven't lost a game in any time I've done those videos. I haven't had to do a sign-off where we've lost a game yet. So yeah, I'm preparing oh. for next season, oh, which, no. will be, which will be much, uh, much tougher. I think I'm just saving up those defeat videos for after the <laughs> summer. We're building towards Graham screaming at his family, I've got to do one of my videos. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we're leaning towards, and I am excited about it. All right. We're, we're over 10 minutes in. Even I'm hovering my finger over the plus 30 uh, button right now. <laughs> Let's move on from Sterling Abbey. Congratulations, Graham. I'm wearing my Sterling shirt, by the way, the one you that's appreciated. Uh, gave me in New York when we did Those our Popeye's. Those are souvenirs now. Yeah. Oh. Title winning shirts. There you go. Maybe I'll uh no, I'm, I'll treasure it forever. I'll be bar- I'll be was buried it, in it. Graham. Were they That's just baggage cool. before? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> now they're souvenirs, but previously they were hexes. Yeah, we 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 use them for like rags, you know, cleaning the car, <laughs> yeah. any spillages around the kitchen. Sterling Albion shirt. Don't do it with that one. That's a souvenir. The quick picker uppers. Very nice. Uh, Texas Housier <laughs> on the Discord uh, had, had a post that said, Taylor, Man United got to the FA Cup final. Graham, Sterling Albion promoted. Joe, Phoenix Suns dominating LA. Yes. Ryan, had a Starbucks this weekend? <laughs> I'll tell you, I didn't have a Starbucks this we- weekend. Do you know what I had? Do you know what I had to eat this weekend? A poop sandwich from AFC Wimbledon. I've been served many of them this season. We've dropped 38 points from winning positions this season. We survived relegation this weekend after a 5-1 defeat at home after being 1-0 up. That's a win. I mean, not literally. It's literally but, not. Know, it's the opposite. Him. Get him. <laughs> wait, wait, anyway. Ryan. Ryan, does so this mean you can't be relegated this season? Correct, yes. Yeah. Because oh, another so, team lost even worse than us, yes. I mean, another, so, I'm not saying you're going to enjoy the poop sandwich, but on the whole, like after how badly this season has gone, surely it has to be some somewhat relieving that you can at least stop like panicking now. What, yep. Which team was it that put five goals past you? Swindon Town, Graham. How many is Paul Mullen, Mullen going to put past you next season? Yeah, I can't wait to play Wrexham <laughs> next season. It's going to get nice and competitive next year in uh, League 2. Anyway, shall we move on uh, to some Premier League soccer? Why don't we? Uh, let's uh, go back to Friday evening. Arsenal 3, Southampton 3. Arsenal scoring two late goals in this one. 3-1 down in the 88th minute were Arsenal. Uh, Graham, this was a brilliantly entertaining game of soccer, particularly as Arsenal were pushing for that fourth goal, which they nearly... Got good stuff. Uh, good stuff. If you're not Arsenal, I think. Uh, yeah, certainly. 
<laughs> certainly very entertaining. I'm not sure that's what they wanted from this match. And in the in the Champions League review show last week, we spoke about how Man City have been able to kind of rest within matches in recent weeks and that has allowed them to coast through those matches. Um, I think it's fair to say Arsenal don't have that ability at the moment and that has come to the fore, not just in this match, but the matches against West Ham and, and, and Liverpool. And it's not just the... It's not just the dropped points, which are obviously damaging, stating the obvious there, but also the, kind of the emotional energy that these these matches are taking out of them at the moment. And and yeah, sure, the odd comeback here or there can help build momentum, and Arsenal have, have had a number of those over the course of the season, but not when every match is some sort of melodrama like it is for them at the moment. And and obviously the City game on Wednesday is, is very different, but Arsenal just need to discover or rediscover how to comfortably win games again because they're they're not going to win a Premier League title playing like this in every single game yeah and, and this game is one that shows you just how fine the margins are right like I, I am very tempted and I will do some of this I'm very tempted to sort of zoom out and, and do a lot of big picture Arsenal stuff and talk about the title race I think some of that's fair right to look at the defense to look at some of their their on-field issues I think some of that's fair but a lot of this just comes back to Anne Ramsdale passing the ball right to Southampton 30 seconds into this game. You're down 1-0. Southampton, we're always going to play against the ball in this game. They continue to do so. Theo Walcott, which is a little fitting here, gets a goal in the 14th minute in a transition moment after Arsenal lose the ball in midfield, and they're down 2-0, right? Like, the very early stages of this game set the stage for Arsenal to have a ton of problems here. Like, you can trace all of these things back to, as unfortunate as it is for Aaron Ramsdale, to that moment in the first minute. Like, that is a brutal moment that in any league in the world is difficult to come back from. In the Premier League, where the quality is high, relatively speaking across the board, is very difficult to come back from. This is a moment that I think we will look back when Man City have won the title, and they they almost certainly are going to win the title at this point. Like, we're going to look back at this moment and trace, trace it to Aaron Ramsdale, which is brutal. But again, the margins are so... So small in a game, they're small in a season. I feel for Arsenal fans because it's it's like we're watching the thing that we all talked about, that we all predicted was going to happen. We're, we're watching that unfold right in front of our eyes. So Joe, you're, you're treating the title race as a, almost as a foregone conclusion there, lest we forget uh, Arsenal are facing Man City this week. Arsenal yeah. five points ahead with two games extra played. That's pretty much, this is a referendum on the Premier League title race this game coming up, right? It, it feels that way, right? You know, I was I was talking with my aunt yesterday, randomly enough, who's a soccer fan. And uh, and we, we were talking about this game on Wednesday as being like the real deal. Like this is the biggest game so far of the Premier League season because if Arsenal win, you know, things change dramatically. Things change very, very dramatically. That would put them eight points clear of Man City with two games in hand, granted for City, but still, that would be a big gap. The, the problem is... I just don't see Arsenal winning, right? I think Man City have been playing such good soccer, and Graham, you, and Ryan, and Goss last week, I thought did a great job discussing Man City, and Graham, I know you're all aboard this this train for Man City in the Champions League. I, I'm kind of all aboard the train for the double, like excusing Real Madrid, and that is sort of the wild card, but like City are just so strong right now, and Arsenal, we talked about in the transfer window back in January, this is a good team, but do they have enough depth? And they go out and sign Trossard, they go out and make some moves that were good moves, but they still only inch them closer to where you know maybe the best teams in Europe are in terms of squad depth and Arsenal right now. I just don't think that they're at that level. You, you see them lose, and I, I talked about big picture stuff. You know, without Saliba, it, that's a big loss for them in the back line. He is a really athletic center back, can sweep him behind the back line, can do a lot of the defensive work that Arteta wants him to do in transition, that Arteta wants Arsenal to do in transition. Without him, they've struggled. They've allowed twice as many goals 
per game without William Saliba. 0.9 with him in the team, 1.8 without him in the team. And th- th- that stats from Ahmed Walid from The Athletic, who does a really good job with stuff over there on the tactical and data side. It's not just about Saliba, though, right? And, and this is where the depth issue sort of comes in and maybe the, the lack of longevity for Arsenal and some of their issues. In the 21 games before the World Cup, Arsenal allowed seven shots and 1.2 expected goals from shots inside their own six-yard box. They allowed zero goals from those moments. That's 21 games before the World Cup, all competitions. In the 22 games since then, and this Southampton game is included in that, they've allowed 30 shots, 9.4 expected goals, and nine goals from actions inside the six-yard box. Like, this is a huge gap. They're allowing more shots per game. They're allowing more goals. They're allowing more expected goals per shot. Like, they are struggling defensively at this point, and I think it's pretty difficult to look at this team and say, yeah, they're the strongest team in England right now. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's earmuffs time for Tottenham fans as we talk about that game on Sunday. We're going to talk about the FA Cup. We're going to go around the continent. MLS, much, 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 much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Newcastle 6, Tottenham 1. Goodness me. Yeah, Spurs down 3-0 in under 10 minutes, (laughs) 5-0 in just over 20 minutes in this one. Hugo Lloris subbed off at halftime because of a hip injury. Yep, sure. Uh, Taylor, can we call this the worst opening 20 minutes in Premier League history? Surely (laughs) it has to be a contender. I mean, that I can think of, certainly. And for just how dominant one side were and how or the other were. Uh, I'm going to work very hard not to go straight into talking about Tottenham uh, because I think Newcastle deserve uh, plenty of praise for this one, not just because of the score, but because uh, the match before, we talked about it last week, their loss to Brighton. Brighton 
felt like they had a better game plan. It felt like they executed better. It felt like they had identified certain weak weaknesses in Newcastle. And I think Newcastle also just didn't play particularly well in that game. And so to see the response here was pretty inspiring, pretty amazing. Uh, Eddie Howe, definitely uh, the man in charge at Newcastle and getting a response. Uh, but I also think, as we so often talk about, that this was very much a case of one team being excellent and one team being very, Spurs. very poor, uh, and in one team pink Spurs, exactly, exemplified by the second goal, the Joel Linton goal, uh, where it's basically just a long ball, direct ball over the top from Fabian Schaar, uh, brought down by Joel Linton, excellent control by him, rounds the goalkeeper, puts it in, but it's Pedro Porro not being aware or not paying attention to the fact that his man is about to run wide open. It's Romero completely misjudging a header the way you would expect at like U17 level. And even there they would get yelled at for doing something like that. But it's also just Spurs not stepping, not applying pressure and Newcastle being good enough to just say, okay, if you want to give us all this time and space to make decisions, we will do that. Uh, But then Newcastle also having the talent and ability to execute those decisions and pull off some ridiculous plays along the way. Again, it goes back to the idea to me that this is Newcastle being very good, very well coached, but having that sort of superior talent. And then Spurs just being completely not at the races, very much looking like a team that is done with this season and ready to move on to other things. And in some players' cases, maybe literally move on to other things. One of those ridiculous plays from Newcastle was the the pass by Joe Willock for Alexander Isak's first goal, the, the fourth Newcastle goal. That was possibly pass of the season it, it was Luka Modric-esque where where he hit it with the outside of his boot from deep and it just kind of curled right in behind the Spurs defense of course it helps to have that amount of space to find yeah. and the Spurs defense just not being a defense at all but yeah straight into the pass of Isaac and we've spoken a lot about uh, Bruno Gamares and Joe Linton and even Sean Longstaff I think has had a mention on this podcast for, for his performances this season but Joe Willock has been excellent these yeah. last few weeks for Newcastle United. And he's another player who Eddie Howe... I know Joe Willock, Joe Willock had that incredible loan spell from Arsenal a couple seasons ago, which is how Newcastle end up signing him permanently anyway. But last season was a little bit underwhelming for him. And it, and he's just another player that Eddie Howe has inherited from the previous uh, previous team, you know, the pre- previous ownership, and just is getting more and more out of him. But yeah, it helps that Spurs... I'm not even sure what to say about Spurs at the moment because this performance was just so incredibly inept. I actually turned on this game 25 minutes in and thought there was something wrong with the box score on the TV broadcast. There's no way that Newcastle United, particularly because at times this season, Newcastle United have kind of struggled for goals. Sometimes it's their defence that's been the basis of their success. There's no way Newcastle have scored five goals in in the 20 minutes that I have missed of this game. So... Yeah, I've seen some Spurs fans say it was the worst performance they've ever seen from them in the Premier League. That feels about right. I imagine Conte feels somewhat vindicated. I mean, there's no way he's actually watching Tottenham games right now. <laughs> but 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 someone told him the score and he feels good about tearing that squad to shreds in the press conference. But yeah. as as bad as that that performance was, obviously the players on the pitch kind of need to look at themselves. The, the back four, thinking that even Perisic and Pedro Porro can play in a conventional back four, I'm not sure how Christian Stellini ever thought that would work, but also Spurs, just bigger picture sort of thing, have brought this on themselves, where this is the sort of performance you get when a club is as aimless as they are right now. And it sort of reminded me of some of the performances United produced under uh, Ralph Ranić last season, who was their Christian Stellini. There's just no framework at Spurs right now. There's no buy-in from the players. and, And this is what happens when you face a team like Newcastle who have those things. 
Yeah, I'm, and, I'm not convinced that Stellini's going to work out long term, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he's going to get sacked, apparently. Have you seen the reports? <laughs> yeah, Have yeah. you ever heard of a caretaker manager getting sacked? So is it going to be Ryan Mason, I'm guessing? I'm not sure what's going to Why bother loved, at this point? We've uh, lived this before. This is so frightening. <laughs> must be so frightening for Tottenham Bear, fans. Continue, Taylor. I want to give credit where credit is due. Barry Glendening on Football Weekly was talking about, I think it was after the third goal, when it cut to... Uh, to Stellini and Ryan Mason kind of having the like like hands over mouth whispered conversation back and forth and his and his his assumption is they were both just going like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do yeah. either do you have any idea what to do no I have no idea how to deal with this yeah, like, Davinson <laughs> Sanchez he'll he'll fix this put him on he I was booed off last week in, in three seconds run one two <laughs> that's probably what they were doing <laughs> if we run in opposite directions they can only get one of us to stay here so, so that maybe that was the plan so Joe near the end of Conte's reign He said, I see selfish players, players that don't want to help each other and don't put their heart into it. They don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. It feels feels like Conte has been vindicated somewhat, at least by that opening 20 minutes, because he's kind of got a point in terms of the players not doing their jobs. Yeah, I mean, I I think that is true. I also agree with Graham. I don't think the tactical setup from Stellini is very good with Ivan Perisic and, and Poro at the fullback spots with how much Newcastle like to play in transition, like surely you have to know that you're going to give up some really high quality chances in those channels. And, and that's exactly what happens. That's part of it. But yeah, I think the mentality is is real and it's hard to actually measure that stuff, right? I mean, we call it intangibles for a reason. It, it, it's difficult to actually say how much that matters. But what I will say is I think Conte has been vindicated on some level because Tottenham, when we talked about this on the big thing, when anybody looks at their squad right now, like you look at their squad and you look at Newcastle squad, is Tottenham squad better? No, it, it, not dramatically, maybe slightly in certain positions, but I think Newcastle have the advantage in other positions. Like they have lost the edge on a lot of teams in the Premier League. They are still, you know, probably one of the six best teams based on quality in the league. And that's right about where they are right now. They're two points ahead of Aston Villa, Aston Villa in sixth, Tottenham how, in fifth. How are they fifth? I, I, I can't get like, my head around. Where are they picking up they're points? Fine, where are they picking up points? They are a fine, but not good team they played incredibly poorly in this game and when you're a fine but not especially good team you're going to have those kinds of games this for Tottenham fans was levels above what we've seen at other points in the season but yeah like I think Conte is somewhat vindicated because I it is very difficult for me to imagine this group finishing coming into this year now now that we know what we know finishing much higher than sort of the the edges of the Champions League in European places. Graham, to your question, though, and I think Joe has done a great job of explaining some things, I would just add the table being as imbalanced as it is is a big part of this because Spurs have played 32 games. Uh, Villa behind them, two points behind them, have played 32, but then you've got Liverpool on 31. If they win their game in hand, they have superior goal difference, so now Spurs are in sixth. Brighton have three games in hand, so if they win a couple of those, they jump uh, ahead of Liverpool, and now you've got Spurs in seventh, which... Still feels kind of high for what we've seen from them of late. Uh, But I also think it's a Spurs team that, what you guys have already said, I'll just double down, that you can change the shape, but if you don't have the buy-in of the team, and you could see it in this game, that they were still trying to figure it out. There was a lot of sort of gesturing as to where people were supposed to be and where passes were supposed to be hit. But when you don't have the the feeling that things are working or that you are going to be able to pull things out it just becomes this, like, you're kind of yelling at each other and eventually just kind of giving up. And I think that's exemplified by uh, Ugo Lloris. Ryan mentioned him in the intro to this one. Coming off at halftime, the interview I saw was him saying he had a an injury to his uh-huh. hip. Sure, hip, sure. Yeah. His hip muscle. Yeah. 
Chunk. I don't know what your hip muscle is. That that was Taylor. I, it's, got, like, Taylor, it's the muscle tendons. in your hip. Is, is <laughs> oh, what it is. It's the muscle okay. in your hip area. Taylor, yeah. it's yeah. the muscle that feels the most embarrassment in your body. That's why you have to come off. Well, I do want to. I want to have this conversation for a moment because I understand the idea of you're the goalkeeper, you're the captain, you're supposed to be the leader. You should never be like subbing out. It maybe maybe he is injured, but you should. Yeah, you go down with the ship. But at the same time, I absolutely understand if you are a goalkeeper who's just been humiliated because your team is not playing, doesn't look functional, and there you are just completely hung out to dry. I also get. Just saying, wh- why am I staying out here if you all aren't going to play? He Admittedly, locked himself in the toilet. That's what happened. <laughs> there were people, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Hugo, it. the second half's about to start. I'm not coming out. There's no way I'm going back <laughs> nope. out there. You can do it on your own. <laughs> he oh, also well. legged it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I just, it just feels like a team, I, not breaking any new ground here, it just feels like a team that have, have more or less given up that I think recognize now that the squad itself, I think, recognizes that big changes need to happen, that there will be a new manager, that there's going to be new ideas, that I think our players are going to move on from this one because it feels like the obvious point to do so. Uh, and so I, it just leaves Tottenham a bit adrift, even if they are still in seventh at the end of the season. Yeah, that's the positive for Spurs is they can, they can look forward to a new manager, Mauricio Pochettino going to Chelsea. What? Yeah. That's not meant to happen. <laughs> it, it, oh. is, it has been sort of a season for me of maybe the new manager bounce doesn't always work out because we have Conte leaving. We have Tuchel getting sacked by Chelsea, I would say prematurely. We have Nagelsmann getting sacked by Bayern, I would say prematurely. Even maybe Jesse Marsh you could throw in there. It's not like Leeds have turned things around dramatically. Yeah, they've been worse. <laughs> PSG just kind of proved consistently that you shouldn't sack your manager every single season. So this has been a, a good year of staying the course and seeing what happens versus, versus expecting a manager who previously only managed in, I think, Serie C, Serie Che, to come in <laughs> and, and, and make the difference. Yeah. yeah, maybe tell you it's the season of talking about firing a manager but not actually doing it. The David Moyes season where he just ah, yes. won a couple of games four nil on the spin <laughs> yes, by yes. by sheer power of the threat of being fired. Um, it's the what's the it's like the the like the like a thousand tales or whatever it is where the Sultan keeps threatening to kill the guy and every night the guy entertains him. So the Sultan keeps the guy around to hear a new story every single night. That's David Moyes. It's just every week. They're like, <laughs> maybe this is the week, David. And then he pulls out another win and somehow he he keeps keeps on at West Ham. Well done to David Moyes. Less well so Tottenham. Yeah, I, my resounding memory of David Moyes, not that he's passed away or anything, but his <laughs> real Sociedad when he was in the stands eating the, fr- eating the potato chips with the fans. I just I imagine in hard times for David Moyes, I just imagine him with a little smile on his face eating potato chips in the stands at Real Sociedad. A very obscure memory of mine, which I've just brought up for no particular reason. Let's go to the rest of the Premier League. Uh, it's, on, Leicester it's, with a, it's on brand for us, my friend. It's on <laughs> Indeed, brand. it very much is. We spent the first 10 minutes talking about our fourth tier Scottish team. Yeah, we um, did. Leicester 2, Wolves 1, D. Smith winning his you first. I, I proudly as well. Proudly. It's still got the Popeye sauce stains on it, Graham. Um, <laughs> good comeback win for Leicester was this one. Took them out of the relegation zone. As we mentioned, West Ham with a 4-0 win over Bournemouth. A huge step towards safety for them. They're now in 13th with six points clear. Uh, Brentford holding Aston Villa, the mighty Aston Villa, who drank Newcastle's milkshake, of course, last week. Ollie Watkins failing to score uh, for a first away game since the 21st of January. Champions League dream is over for them. Villa, put them in the trash. They're dumb. Uh, Palace, Everton, incredibly boring. Fulham 2, Leeds 1. <laughs> Leeds just one point above the relegation zone. Harry Wilson with a lovely uh, volleyed opener for this one. 
kind of the angle where he had to turn his body and hit the crossbar as it went in. Wonderful, wonderful goal from Harry Wilson in that game. Let's turn our attentions real quick to the FA Cup, the semi-finals at Wembley Stadium this weekend. Taylor, which one would you like to start with, the City one or the United one? Oh, let's go United. Why not? City oh, have had okay. their time. Indeed. Brighton, nil. Manchester United, nil. Going to penalties this one. Solly Marsh missing in sudden death. Um, bringing Manchester United another FA Cup final, Taylor. Congrats. I would say Brighton were rather good in this game, forcing quite a few saves from David De Gea in this one. And deserve his team still going for a European spot. They're still in great shape after losing Harry Potter. New manager bounce consistently, kind of. Did you say <laughs> Harry Potter? Was that a joke? Nice or is that, did nice that slip there, Ryan. Well done. That was a mistake. I meant to say the other one. <laughs> I mean, it could work either way. I just said Harry Wilson loads, and then I said Graham Potter. That must have been where my brain went. Sorry. Brighton have been working some magic under Roberto De Zerbi, uh, and, and, and it felt like there, this was an opportunity for them to continue to do so. Uh, and so, like to some extent, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with this win, not just because it's a win itself, but because it's a Brighton team that have looked very good, very competent, very well-drilled, very technical uh, and, and so for Manchester United, a team who sometimes look like that and then sometimes lose 7-0, uh, you never quite know what's going to happen in these sort of moments. And I, and I think that it, it probably was not the most engaging uh, of, of games for, for neutrals to watch, but I think a penalty shootout is always interesting and a lot of head games along the way. But it's still, I think, a big result for Man United to make a, a cup final given the kind of relative skid they've had uh, of late. I think it still shows that there is a decent work, decent amount of work to be done in recruitment this summer, regardless of what happens in that final, uh, a final against Manchester City that uh, is going, as I already said in the introduction, I am, I am apprehensive about. Uh, mm. A penalty shootout win over Brighton in the semi feels like a high watermark in what could be a, a savaging in the final so, if Man United get some things wrong. So Taylor, obviously with Man City at the moment, all the talk is of this treble that is increasingly mm-hmm. looking feasible for them. Does that make you more or less nervous that I think the FA Cup final comes after... The, does it come after the Champions League final? I'm not entirely sure, yeah, actually. Usually it does. Yeah. So it will be. It could be the last leg of a treble for Man City. Thanks, and obviously Thanks. Manchester United's <laughs> historic achievement, 1999, really the crowning achievement of their kind of entire club's existence, winning a treble in 99. Does that make you more or less nervous that United could be the ones to stop that? Correction. Champions League final is the week late, week after. Oh, the thank goodness! Final. Sorry. Thanks, Graham, for that. Uh, <laughs> what did I do to you? A lot of things is the answer. That's probably fair. No, but the uh, thing is, if, if, if there is there is a scenario where you know it's it's in your own hands to stop them. So that might make you feel better rather than relying on Brighton to stop. I know Brighton are good, but nonetheless, they're still Brighton to stop Manchester City. No, I mean. There's a difference between Brighton getting dunked on in an FA Cup final and Manchester United being dunked on to be the link that wins the treble. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I don't want City to win more things. I, I think, like, I am being particularly pessimistic, I think, because having watched Manchester City, they just continue to look unstoppable. And it struck me this weekend, I, I guess I'm transitioning into Man City for a moment, uh, that... Like we see sometimes uh, there was much discussion around Tottenham and and managers who want players to come in and play right away that you can transition from bringing in academy players and younger players and developing them to play your style. Or if you're, say, Mourinho, you bring in proven players that will have that impact right away. And it's very interesting to me that Manchester City have somehow found a way to do both, that you bring in highly experienced, highly qualified players, and then you sit them on the bench for a year and let them develop 
such that now you have this team that seem very capable of playing with Holland, without Holland. Uh, and Graham, I saw you debating this a little bit on Twitter this weekend, that we talk about their depth often, and they don't have superior depth necessarily. It's just the quality of depth that they have. Exactly. That you can bring in players that like kind of allow you to continue to play the same way or adjust a little bit and then play even better. So I think it's that versatility basically to Manchester City that has me very nervous compared to Man United who in this game we saw I think some of the limitations of their personnel and when Christian Eriksen goes out in the 62nd minute still coming back from injury still probably not at full fitness uh, Fred comes in and things get bogged down uh, I don't think that changes much when you bring in say Veghorst or uh, or even uh, like other other players later on in the game when Sabitzer comes in I'm not sure he's bringing that sort of midfield dynamism still a very good player I would still like that move to be made permanent but I think there's it's still Manchester United figuring things out learning what works and what doesn't whereas Man City seem to have uh pretty well figured things out at this point Veghorst won it for United he cursed the ball did anyone did. see that he, he gave the the Solly Marsh penalty yeah, the crucial penalty he gave it the the kiss of death as he was handing it over and then Marsh uh, that missed. and then I noticed David De Gea standing at the penalty spot pointing down and clearly saying like don't put it there you might slip if you put it there. So a lot of head games in this shootout uh, that ended up working out. Yeah. By the way, the shootout, like, apart from Casemiro's penalty wasn't great. And obviously, Solly Marsh put it wild, wildly off target. But every other penalty was amazing. Like, either top bins or completely unsavable, Graham. It was an incredible standard. It was very high quality other than the goalkeeping. Because other than that Robert Sanchez one where he gets a hand... To, I can't remember who that was from, but he, it was Sabitzer, I think, actually. Yeah. Because uh, he gets a hand to it and it ju- it goes in the net. But other than that... David I mean, David De Gea just... I, I tweeted before the before the shootout. This is a penalty shootout with Robert Sanchez and David De Gea as the goalkeepers. We could be here until May. And that ki- it kind of panned out. David De Gea just doesn't save penalties. It's, it's bizarre. All, all the penalties were really good, though, right? You, you concede that, surely. They were, but you kind of... How many penalties were there? What, like 14 penalties or something like that? You would you would think that a goalkeeper would get close to maybe two or three of them by just throwing themselves into a corner. And even if it's a good penalty, they would get close to it. But David De Gea was not close to any of them. Law of averages would uh, dictate that. Yes, fair enough. Well, uh, Manchester United going through to the final where they will face, as we have made clear, Manchester City, who on Saturday got a 3-0 win over Sheffield United. Uh, Riyad Mahrez with a hat-trick here. First hat-trick in an FA Cup semi-final since 1958. Uh, Graham, anything to report from this game? Made easy work of them, basically, didn't they? Yeah, and the fact that Riyad Mahrez scored a hat-trick in this game proves the point I was making that Taylor was referencing there from last week's Champions League review, which they, which was they don't have kind of great numbers, but the players that they bring in, there's not much of a drop-off. So he didn't play last week in the Champions League. He comes in, scores a hat-trick in an FA Cup semi-final. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's what Man City do. Marvellous stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the Bundesliga. Rut roll by Munich. What's going on? Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's head over to Germany. Five games to go in the Bundesliga, Joe. We have a title race. Mainz 3 by Munich 1. A comeback win for Mainz in this one. 
All three goals of Bayern's conceded in under 15 minutes. They had over 70% possession in this game for an hour, Joseph. And yet here we are. Thomas Tuchel, of course, formerly Mainz coach, has won two of his seven matches in charge. Yikes. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I don't remember who was responsible for editing the big thing episode we did on Bayern Munich when the manager stuff all changed. And I talked about how Bayern Munich were definitely going to win the title. Yeah, uh, whoever that was, and I guess I could do this later. I've got time. If you could go back and like delete basically every word that I said from that episode, it was just that a bad be... edit, Joe. The, the edit made you look bad. That was all. right. Yeah, they chopped it together. Actually, I didn't say any any of those things. <laughs> I, I I'm a little shocked that this is happening, frankly, because as we record now, Dortmund are kind of in the catbird seat, at least as as much as they can be when Bayern Munich play in the same league as they do. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, this is just absolutely absurd stuff in the title race. Dortmund come out and get a 4-0 win, and Bayern Munich choke against Mainz. Like, I I don't understand what's going on. Taylor, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Bayern Munich did a lot of good stuff in this game. Like, they had some good moments. They created better chances. Ryan, you just talked about them dominating the ball. Like, they absolutely dominated the possession in this game, even before they had to fight back, right? They're controlling the game 1-0 with a nice goal from Sadio Mane in the 29th minute. And then it slips. And it slips again, and it slips one more time, and you blink, and it's 3-1, and things have completely changed in the Bundesliga. I I still think, and it, it, if this doesn't turn out to be true, this is another bad edit, and I'm blaming Ryan, I still think <laughs> that Bayern Munich are going to get this job done. But, like, we came in sort of expecting to see a new manager bounce because the Bayern Munich quality and, and sort of the performances and the numbers, everything that you see when you look at Bayern Munich before they changed managers, was positive. And and I think we mostly agreed that firing Nagelsmann felt harsh because on the whole, they were still in the Champions League. That's no longer true. They were still in, in the driver's seat for the title race. That's not really true anymore either. Like We sort of expected things to to continue to progress and regardless of who the manager was, that they would go out there and thrive. And and the exact opposite of that has happened, Ryan. It's it's wild to me. Wild indeed. I, I love that you use the phrase catbird seat again. Hmm. I do enjoy that. Thank you. You're welcome, I guess. Short yeah. story connoisseur, Joe Lowry. Is that where we're at? I think that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, as long as we're writing short stories, I'm very much enjoying going back to that episode. They sack Noggles, then they bring in Tuchel, uh, no and then they win the episode. game against Dortmund, no and everybody is Don't very... Uh, and everybody is very uh, sort of celebrating in the stands. The board are all patting themselves on the back. And and I contrast that with the images from this weekend when everybody just looks very sullen, very sad. Joe... I agree. There's a good chance Bayern will end up winning the title. But I think even if they do, as silly as it may sound, I don't think it's going to be remembered as a, as a successful season because there has no. been this downturn, because they've been knocked out in different competitions the way they have been. It, it's it's still it's not as though you get rid of Nagelsmann, in comes Tuchel, uh, having been eliminated from tournaments, and then he turns things around and away we go. It's them still figuring it out, and I agree with you. I thought Bayern looked really good in this game, and lest we forget, this is a Bayern team that have brought Sergio Mane back in after his incident with Leroy Sané, uh, and he scores a goal. He almost scores another one, but it's disallowed for being like a half an inch offside, and Bayern could have been up 5-0 at halftime. They just did not take their chances as cleanly as they could have, but this was a Bayern team that came out theoretically in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, I also saw them in a 3-2-3-2. I also saw them in a 2-3-2-3. Uh, lots of different shapes, lots of rotations. Goretzka being a right back on occasion. Uh, Stanisic being a right back or a right center back or sometimes a right midfielder. It was a very fluid Bayern approach. And I watched this knowing the result, expecting it to be a game in which 
uh, excuse me, Mainz figured them out and took the game to them, and Bayern were sort of caught in this situation. And in reality, it's just individual mistakes. It's Salmer, who, for as good as he has been, he he spills a shot right onto the head of uh, Ajork, I believe it is, and uh, I, I want to, I know it's him. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name properly, uh, but the the big attacker he heads it in. The second goal is just a uh, ball hoof long. Uh, it's Open Meccano beaten by Ajork for the flick on, and then it's a quick pass, and it's a goal from that. But it's just very quick, route one, and Bayern not quite challenging at an individual moment. And then the third goal is a like a rocket from distance. It's .05 xG, so a 5% chance he's doing that one. So I, I think it's all that to say it's a great win for Bayern. They they took it to, to uh, excuse me, a great win for Mainz. A very bad loss for Bayern. Uh, <laughs> But it is not I – don't, I don't think it's necessarily a statement of, oh, this is them continuing – it's not a Spurs result, basically. It's not the team looking broken. It's the team still figuring things out. It's excellent adjustments for Bo Svensson, the Mainz manager, in that second half uh, to come out and basically press very aggressively high when Bayern were taking goal kicks or trying to build out of the back. When they crossed midfield, it was then collapsing into a 5-4-1 and inviting Bayern to try to beat them without a ton of space, without those those big pockets that had been opening up in the first half. And that did nullify their approach quite a bit. So too did the pressing. Uh, and, and I think, again, that speaks to me to Bayern still figuring out how they want to play under Tuchel, how quickly they need to play. So, it's not as bad of a result as it seems to be on the surface, but simultaneously is for the reasons Joe mentioned with the title race and with uh, Bayern not looking like the well-oiled machine that we would have expected them to look like. Uh, Graham, Borussia Dortmund with a 4-0 emphatic win over Eintracht Frankfurt uh, on this match day as well. Dortmund one point ahead, as we mentioned, with five games to go. Is this actually going to happen or are Dortmund going to find a way to ruin this? I, I'm not sure I'm ready for Dortmund to win the, the Bundesliga title. I thought that if Bayern were dethroned, it would be by some sort of like golden generation or the next great German manager or something like that. Because obviously you go back to the last team to do it. It was Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund, who were both of those things. You know, one of the best ever Dortmund team. And obviously he's gone on to become a generational talent as, as a manager. Instead, we've got a Dortmund team with... As well as they're playing, a Dortmund team with Emery Chan and Mats Hummels still playing for them, uh, coached by a giant teddy bear. As much as I like Edin Terzic, he is a giant teddy bear, and I'm not entirely sure that he is like the sharpest tactical mind. He still strikes me, and look, maybe I'm doing him a disservice because I don't watch the Bundesliga as much as some other leagues. But it, it still feels to me like it's a bit of an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who's just there to make sure everyone is playing their own game, make sure that everyone is kind of enjoying themselves. So the fact that they could win a Bundesliga title has come completely out of left field for me this season. I didn't expect it to happen this season. Obviously, it might still not happen. There's still, what, five games to go? Um, yeah. that, is a lot of, that is a lot of time for Dortmund to mess us up somehow. But with uh, Bayern Munich doing an even bigger Dortmund than Dortmund, it is a possibility. Indeed. Seems like there might be a few more twists in this Bundesliga tale. We shall see. Heading over to Serie A, we had a big one on Sunday evening uh, in Turin. Juventus nil, Napoli won. Uh, a curious one, Graham, obviously with Juve last week uh, climbing back into the top four, having their 15-point deduction um, scrapped, which might still be taken away again. It's kind of confusing, but Juve are still in third at the moment as we yeah. record. Sorry. I know, I, know I, I, know you're, I know you're tossing to Graham. Ryan, I think I'm starting to get your whole Italy thing now. I really think I'm starting to understand some of you know how things work there and, and how the government processes work. 
Um, this this whole Juve thing is wild. Like I I didn't even realize that they could get their 15 points back, and now for you to say that they might get taken away once more, um, mm. yeah, I have, I have a little bit more sympathy for you today than I had for you yesterday. Joe, I thought you were going to say you were talking. You're talking about don't go back and listen to the Bayern Munich big thing episode. I think it was last week or the week before we discussed. It was a listener questions episode where we discussed who's yeah. going to finish in yes, the top four in Serie A, and none of us mentioned Juventus <laughs> and the possibility of them getting their uh, their 15 points back. So that's another episode to uh, if you haven't listened to that one, don't listen to it. Yeah. But yeah, in 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 terms of the. Scudetto race, I mean, Napoli didn't necessarily need to win this, but after the Champions League exit, it felt like their season needed some energy again, and it certainly got that in the stoppage time of, of this match. The final stages of this match were absolutely nuts. So so first of all, Angel Di Maria, he has a goal disallowed. Um, wrongly disallowed, I thought. I did have a bit of debate on Twitter with some people on this um, who disagreed with me. You'll be given back I, in a few months' time, Graham. That's how it works. <laughs> of course, yeah. They'll get the point in a month's time, yeah. Very well played there, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, they used uh, VAR to spot what they thought was a foul by Milik in the, in the build-up. I thought he won the ball pretty cleanly. But then, even after that, you have Vlaovic scoring, and it was disallowed for the, the ball going out of play as Chiesa cuts it back. And then Napoli come flying forward. The, the ball is lofted to the back post where Raspadori was free and he rifles in this volley pretty much straight through uh, Chesney to win the game and and it was just fantastic scenes in Turin obviously we've spoken about we've spoken previously about the kind of north-south divide in Italy so there is a symbolism of Napoli going to Juventus obviously the superpower of Italian football in recent years and getting that win as one of the final hurdles to win to them winning the Scudetto so they can probably keep those uh, those those banners up in the city, Ryan. They don't have to tear them down just yet. Indeed, they can keep them up. And Napoli, in fact, Graham, will take the title with a victory over Salernitana next week if Lazio fail to win at Inter Milan, which is a scenario which could very much happen. So we could see those banners um, enforced next weekend. Uh, Lazio had a loss this weekend as well. They lost 1-0 at home to Torino. They remain in second place, though. Milan with a 2-0 win over Lecce, with Rafael Leal getting two goals in that one. Milan now in fifth, thanks to Juve's points addition. Wah, wah. Okay. Uh, let's go over to La Liga, where Barcelona also putting one hand tentatively on the trophy, Graham, with a 1-0 win over Atleti. Ferran Torres with a first half strike in this one. Uh... Yeah, title number 27, a step closer with eight games to go, Barca with an 11-point lead. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much been a formality for a while at the top of La Liga, but you're right, this is an important win for Barcelona, just edging them that little bit closer. I actually thought Atleti played a pretty decent match in this one, kind of unfortunate to to lose. I know Barcelona had a lot of control in this game, Joe. I know you have that in the, in the, in the running order, so I'll pass the mic to you on that one. But yeah, I thought... Barcelona, we saw a lot of the stuff we've seen in recent weeks from them where just not a lot of creativity. Pedri does come off the bench in the second half in this game. Um, You could kind of tell he was being eased back into things after injury. He didn't have a great influence on the game, but I expect he will make a big difference for Barcelona over, over the final few weeks of the season. But yeah, it just feels like a lot of players are seriously off the boil at the moment, none more so than Robert Lewandowski, who is not finding life easy at the moment in terms of his goal tally. He had this one-on-one chance in this match, which he... Two-on-one, Graham. Yeah, he, he, yeah, exactly. He had the option to square it. He takes the shot on himself. He squaffs it well wide. It squaffs. was a weird, weird moment. 
and he just hasn't really looked like himself recently. I do expect he will improve once Pedri's back in the team and he has that supply line. But but yeah, I thought Atleti were good. Griezmann was a threat. He, yeah. Ter Stegen made a really strong save to deny him in the first half. A lot of the good stuff that Atleti did flowed through him. He's been the best player in the league since the World Cup. Um, and on another day, he scores and Atleti Madrid, Atletico Madrid come away with a result in this game. But it was 1-0 Barcelona in the end. Yeah, Griezmann was good, Graham. And I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. He has a moment very early on in this game where he hits the ball at like a, a really weird sort of difficult angle, almost as he's falling away and hits the woodwork. And in that moment could have put Atleti up 1-0 and that game changes completely. That's exactly what they want. And, and stylistically, that's what Diego Simeone wants against a Barcelona team that does want to control the ball. I thought Barcelona did exert some strong control on this game. You know, they, they controlled most of the ball in this match. They created better chances. They created more chances. Generally speaking, the, the part that left me most encouraged, Graham, the number of times that we've talked about, you know, Barcelona are this good team. They have plenty of attacking flair. You see that on the goal with the ball over the top to Rafinha. Then Torres gets it and it scores kind of a dinky goal. You know, you can see the quality that they have, but defensively they've struggled in moments this year. And, and where you see the elite possession-oriented teams in Europe thrive, where you see you know, early season Arsenal thrive in transition with aggressive center backs, with, with quality defenders, where you see Man City still thrive with so much athleticism in the back mixed with technical quality. You know, where you see these teams have a lot of success, Barcelona hadn't really had a lot of success. They would leak a goal in transition. They would give up a, a, a mistaken opportunity in their own box. There were some of those moments in this game, and there will always be some of those moments when you play a team as good as Atletico Madrid, but on the whole, I was encouraged. It didn't feel like Atleti had a ton of really obvious clear-cut chances. Griezmann was popping up at some dangerous spots, and he did have a nice moment in the second half that, you know, if the ball's hit a little bit differently inside the box, it's a good ball in from the right side. You know, that changes, but on the whole, the biggest area for Barcelona to improve ahead of next season, where they'll try to repeat the title, and they'll try to go on and do something more in Europe than they did this season— the biggest goal for them will be to try to find some stability, right? To not just be this barn-burning attacking team, which, frankly, without Pedri, they haven't always been this season. But, you know, to not just be that team, but to also be the strong defensive force that the world's best teams are. And it, it seems to me, against a good team like Atleti, who will hit you in transition, it was a positive building block for this Barcelona group ahead of what will be a really fascinating 2024, 25, 23, 24 yeah. season next year. That's what it's going to be. I'll, I'll keep this Quick, but a quick beat on the defensive stuff you were talking about there, Joe. Um, obviously, it's a fact that Barcelona's defense has been very tight in the Liga this season. They've only conceded nine goals in, in 30 games. Um, but some of the underlying uh, numbers are really confusing. So, so excluding two own goals, um, only seven goals have been conceded by Barcelona this season from an XG of 24.3, which is a, just a huge... Yeah overperformance by Barcelona and I think it's maybe linked to just in La Liga this season being a, a, a poor division being a weak division particularly in terms of attackers so this was Kyle Bond on on Twitter he works for Sporting News who tweeted this out just three La Liga teams this season are outperforming their XG in the whole league three teams are, are outperforming their XG which when you compare it to the other big five leagues you, other big five leagues like the Premier League you're looking at like six or seven teams or something like that so that kind of says that what we've seen from Barcelona this season is them struggling the Champions League and in European football and the La Liga in La Liga it's been a little bit easier for them. I think that's down to just La Liga being quite poor if, and for attackers this year. So I'm interested to see what happens next season and whether those numbers, if they can sustain those numbers defensively. Uh, Real Madrid with a 2-0 win over Celta Vigo, keeping them vaguely near the title race, but not 
really. Uh, last but absolutely <laughs> not least, Joseph Lowry, can we go to Major League Soccer's? I assume you want to do a tight 20 minutes on Charlotte 1, Columbus nil. That's correct. A good win for Charlotte FC against a team in Columbus that have sort of become the the media darling so far this year. I haven't seen it all the way for Columbus. They're improved over where they've been last year. But, you know, Charlotte, a, a strong result for them, a strong performance. I thought they were generally good in this game. Uh, in terms of where I want to start, I think maybe the biggest result from the weekend was Philadelphia's 4-2 win over Toronto FC. Philly jumped out to a fairly early lead. They're up 2-0 inside of 20 minutes. And they never really look back. The Union have have been good for stretches of the season. They've been having to deal with CCL, but we haven't seen like a really complete performance from them. And, and this one wasn't quite complete, but we haven't seen a performance this good from them maybe since the first week of the of the season when Joaquin Torres comes on the field against the Crew and, and they just sort of you know really bet in from there. But what makes this so interesting to me on the Union side is the fact that they've got LAFC in CCL midweek. It's an All MLS CCL semifinal. And the Union appear to be rounding into form just in time for that. LAFC sort of pre-rotated in their game. They drew 1-1 with Nashville. Philly didn't. So I'm curious, will this be a case of them gaining momentum into a midweek CCL game? That's It's very, very important for them. Jim Curtin's talked about how they're trying to go for it. Will they be exhausted and LAFC will have the edge because of how the different managers have, have rotated or not rotated? I don't know what that's going to look like, but we got a glimpse of how scary good Philly can be on the flip side. I'm not sure anybody knows what this Toronto FC team is right now. I'm not sure Bob Bradley knows. They don't have any depth. They're playing sort of without a number nine. The number nines they do have aren't very good. They don't have any depth out wide. Insigne's back, and he scores a goal in this game, which is good. But he's it, it, it's not there right now for Toronto. They're really struggling, and it's difficult for me to imagine this team reaching the heights that I thought they could before the season started. So that that's a big game. One other, one other note from MLS it's not a specific note about a game, although it does stem from Chicago's. It's it's not the kits, although thank you for bringing that up, Graham. Um, saving I the, struggle. Saving the planet is good. Let's let's get that out there now. Saving the planet is good. MLS's <laughs> kits and in sort of the the viewer experience of watching all of the yeah. green versus black kits. It was so difficult. Every single team is is awful. It is a horrible viewing experience. It is every single year. It is the worst weekend of the season from a fan perspective. Well, if, so, if you're trying sure. to watch a bunch of games, it's so bad. Can I just say, if you want to save the planet in terms of kits, make fewer kits. Don't make extra ones. That's my uh, little tip for you. From from your lips to Napoli's ears, Ryan. That's all you got to say. From your lips to Napoli's ears. The, the other thing I wanted to talk about from MLS, because I think we'll do some more MLS chat later this week, is a quote from Chicago Fire Manager Ezra Hendrickson. After they lose 2-1 to Atlanta United, this was the only Sunday game. It was a 99th minute own goal from the Fire that gave Atlanta the 2-1 win at Mercedes-Benz. Uh, Ezra Hendrickson said this, when you get in pressure situations like this, think of an egg and a potato. In the same boiling water, the egg becomes harder and the potato <laughs> becomes softer. So what are you going to be? An egg or a potato? That is a real, entirely real quote that came out of an MLS press conference yesterday. That's from Ted Lasso. Um, I, I just have no words. I have no words. It is so good. Um, Ezra Hendrickson, anytime that you want to cook dinner for a group of us, I would love to come over. I'm not a big hard-boiled egg fan, um, but just unreal is, work from MLS on Sunday. Is he cooking eggs and potatoes in the same pan? I hope not. I, I'm not sure you're I, meant to do that. I don't, I don't think you are either. And at first this one threw me it's, off because when you boil an egg, like objectively, I think the shell gets softer. Does it not? I'm not, I'm not a hard-boiled egg guy. But then you can like peel the shell off. So I think there's an element of the egg that does get softer while the inside gets harder. But even then, it's like mushy on the inside. And so you're just about at the same consistency as a, as a potato. 
after it's been boiled. So I think there might be some flaws with this analogy, but either way, um, that was the best moment of the weekend for sure. Yeah, that was all very well thought out, that analogy. Very nice yeah. analysis yep. there, Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joe, for that. And thank you, Joe, for your contributions to the weekend review in general. You're a superstar. Let's all be eggs, guys. Let's all be eggs. Let's all be eggs or potatoes in the same pan. Let's all just get along. Taylor mm-hmm. Rockwell, thank you very much indeed for your kind words on this podcast, sir. My pleasure. And thank you, my friend. And thank you very much, Graham Ruthman. And congratulations once again yeah. to my favorite Scottish team, Sterling Albion. Sterling John. Beanos. Beanos, indeed. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. In fact, we're going to be on the, disc- the Discord, the uh, Patreon, discussing Wrexham very shortly. But for now, bye! Slash it!